0: From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today... A reporter in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times who can be seen in the Showtime series on the Times, The Fourth Estate. Hello and welcome, Jeremy Peters. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for for making the time and for sharing it with me. Um, So your job, as I understand it, is currently to cover the political right, and I judge that you are not a right-leaning person yourself. Is that fair to say?
1: Well, we try to keep our personal politics out of it. So whenever anybody asks me what I think, uh, it's, it's really not relevant to how I do my job because my job is to be dispassionate about the subjects that I cover and try to find a way to tell their story and explain to our readers why the people I'm covering believe what they do and how they are working to see that worldview implemented. And if it's a lot easier, frankly, if you just kind of keep your own personal politics out of it.
0: Sure. And that's understandable. What I wanted to ask is, I don't know how you personally feel about Trumpism. I I think I have some ideas. Is it safe to say that your work has allowed you to gain a better understanding of the phenomenon of Trumpism?
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think a lot of us who covered Trump in 2015 and 2016 saw him as an aberration. He was this celebrity candidate who was riding on his reputation and his popularity as a television reality star. But in fact, he was speaking to a group of people who we I think, incorrectly assumed would see him as a joke, that they would see him as somebody who was trying to run for office to enrich himself. But that's not how they saw it. They were so hungry for something that was different for a candidate who could, in their view, shake things up and try things out in, in in a way that had never really been tried before um, that, that they gambled and and I think a lot of us covering Trump didn't realize just how deep that desire was to shake up the system to go with a political leader who was, you know, such a departure from the way that the kinds of presidents that this country had always picked. I mean, you go back and you look at, at with the exception of the founding fathers, there was no, you know, it, it, there was no president we'd ever picked that hadn't been a military commander or some type of senior ranking government official before. Trump was really a first. Uh, He'd never run for political office before. And we saw that, I think, as a liability in the media when a lot of other people saw that as an asset.
0: Do you think that – do you, looking back retrospectively, do you think that you misunderstood – you underestimated how serious he was about being president he did sincerely want to be president it seems to have turned out
1: yeah i think that's fair i think that we assumed this was an endeavor of personal enrichment or 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 kind of you know popularity seeking um it was it was not something that we actually thought that he wanted um that he would get tired of it because i mean let's face it he does have a a, an awfully short attention span and then kind of bops around a lot um and didn't seem presidential frankly so yeah there was there was that as well i think we didn't really take into account as much as we we should have the fact that he he, (laughs) his desire to be liked is is so powerful and overriding that that included wanting to be the president of the United States.
0: Uh, yeah. Then they'll have to respect me. Um, do you feel like in talking to Trump's America, Trump's people that I don't want to say sympathetic, but that you have been able to understand um, the, the appeal of him more than you did going in. Does it make sense to you why people respond to him now?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It It, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it also it, 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 it gives me, and I think a lot of the other people who've covered him, a much more nuanced view of who his supporters are. You know there there's a caricature that exists in pop culture and and in the media of exactly. What a Trump supporter is, but you know, you, you you find out when you talk to enough people, you do enough of these these interviews um, in competitive congressional districts, where there are people who supported Trump who you would never peg as Trump supporters, and you realize that this is it's it's, it's a much deeper phenomenon than than I think a lot of people give it credit for.
0: Um, So Donald Trump has labeled the press the enemy of the people in those explicit words. Why do millions of people respond to that that blunt of a message about the media?
1: I think for the longest time you've seen conservatives really frustrated with the idea that they're Point of view isn't represented in the media, and, and and even worse than that, that they're caricatured in the media, and that, that they, as they see themselves, is, uh, is not accurately portrayed in the media. So you have that kind of you know that that, that decades long resentment. Um, but but what Trump I think brought that brought out that's that's different than that that, that that's you know much more insidious than that is that. The media wants to take away what you've earned politically. They want to defeat your candidate. They want not only that, but they want to see him impeach. They want to snatch away this victory and reverse it. And that's really powerful. And I think that speaks to the the sense that that a lot of Trump supporters have, the sense that Trump certainly feeds himself, that – the institutions that, that 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 are out there that are supposed to protect and 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 educate society, uh, you know, the, it, it, these these traditional standard bearers um, are not only not representative of the people, but that they're corrupt themselves. And this is the whole rigged system that Trump talks about uh, all the time. And 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 he made the media. A part of that, and and I think it was eye opening for a lot of reporters like myself to see that there were an awful lot of people who were willing to believe that that's what we did. I mean, if you if, if if you watch in the fourth estate, you'll you'll see in the fourth episode this scene when I go to Alabama to cover the campaign of Roy Moore, who was running for Senate in 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 the state at the time. And a big part of his message, a big part of his appeal was that the media, the, the the liberal East Coast elite media had made up, had fabricated entirely this story that he had preyed on girls as young as 14. And people really believed that when he said that. And I think that, you know, as, as, as as appalled as I was on a certain level to to, to hear that, um, it also really spoke to the level of mistrust that an awful lot of people have in the media, and and and, and you know that's just part of this overall mistrust that they have in you know the, the so-called elite institutions and and really in the government itself.
0: If I can play devil's advocate, what do you say to somebody? So when the Russia stuff first starts coming up, <clears throat> you know, somebody, you know, a, a, a liberal's dream at that point is that they're going to uncover, I don't know, phone records, emails between Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. And I'm well aware that there's all sorts of um, pretty compelling evidence out there that, you know, uh, Robert Mueller stole and other people are still sifting through, but... What do you say to someone who says, well, you can find some unsavory shit at the fringes of apologies for my language um, at the fringes of any political, you know, candidate, any political campaign. There are just some people who will never accept that Donald Trump was it was the will of the people for him to be the president. And they're just going to come up with enough facts to create the narrative to destroy him.
1: I certainly understand why people believe that because Donald Trump is telling them that's the case, and there is you know th- su- such a mistrust in you know not just the media, um, but now even more so in government institutions, in law enforcement, that it's it's easier for them to believe, and and this is trust that's been worn down. Um, not just by our president, but by you know a, a conservative media machine that's made it its its goal to defend this president, oftentimes regardless of, of, of the facts of the story. And you know they they accuse us all the time of of selecting the stories that we that we choose to cover and 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 the selection bias there, but. You know they do the same thing and ignore stories that are unflattering of the president and deflect to stories about Hillary Clinton and, and her supposed corruption and, 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 and improper behavior. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist because certainly the New York Times has, has has covered that and taken a lot of heat from the left for covering that. But you know, I, I think that their argument falls apart when when, when as soon as you pose them, a question of, you know, so, so would they cover something unflattering about Trump? And, you know, in, in my experience in, in dealing with most of these news organizations on the right, their job, as they see it, is basically to exonerate the president. And, 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 and they wouldn't say that outright. They would say that, well, our job is to cover the stories that 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 the mainstream media is not covering. But often those stories are really just like cooked up misleading disinformation about the true status of these investigations that are going on.
0: I wouldn't debate the fact that it seems to me I, I'm, I'm from New York. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of media that's in big cities and cities lean blue, fine. The mainstream media has a lot of liberals in it um, and a lot of people from privileged backgrounds. I wouldn't debate that, but, I mean, is Fox News, if it's not currently the biggest news channel on television, It's it, it has been and it probably will be again. It's so funny to me, just as an observation, that the mainstream media, the mainstream media, when that's a dominant force in the mainstream media.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they they, they no longer can claim not to be represented. I mean, yeah. it, it, and it's gotten, and, you know, and, and social media has made this worse because it's gotten to the point where, you know, they no longer even need to ever see a side of the story that they don't want to see that isn't in their newsfeed on Facebook. Uh, and 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 I don't think that you can credibly claim as a member of the conservative media that somehow you lack a platform or that your platform is less uh, than 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 a the, the lot of the mainstream media because it's just not the case. I mean, Fox has been the number one most watched cable news show for for. Uh, two decades now.
0: Right. And uh, I'm speaking to uh, Jeremy Peters of the New York Times. You can see him in the Showtime series on the Times, The Fourth Estate. Let's talk about your platform. I have always found it very ironic and again just a, a point that gets lost in so many other things that are, uh, you know, swirling around and worthy of discussion nowadays. New York Times is fake news to our president. And yet, correct me if I'm wrong, did he not give his very first interview after being elected to the New York Times?
1: He did – I don't know if it was his first, but he certainly came to the New York Times during his presidential transition shortly after the election mm-hmm. to sit down with uh, dozens of people in the uh, in, in a meeting with our publisher, top editors, reporters. And that, that meeting went on for an awfully long time and it was all on the record. Uh, and, and if you watch – This 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 series on Showtime, The Fourth Estate, you'll see that it's it's not just Trump who trashes us and has a relationship with us Uh uh, in the scenes, but it's it's members of, of his inner circle who do as well. And that's one of the things that I think this series kind of peels back the curtain on is you see, on the one hand, Trump finding us. Uh, the mainstream media, but also the New York Times in particular, to be a useful punching bag. But then he also sees us as a, a useful megaphone platform for his ideas and seeks a, a certain validation in our coverage. And that is, is is totally at odds with with how he would have his supporters see his. Attitude toward the media, which is, you know, almost uniformly hostile every everything, you know, it seems like every other tweet on his on his Twitter account is something about how the media is fake or it has lied or it's made up a story out of whole cloth. Well, I think you'd probably be hard pressed to find a president who has had as much contact, direct contact with reporters as President Trump I don't know how (laughs) movie I might as well just say like you can see there is a scene in the film when he calls a colleague of mine on the and 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 conducts a whole interview and not only conducts a whole interview but proceeds to go off the record with her in a way that that suggests that the, you know this is a relationship he's had with this reporter for an awfully long time which happens to be the case
0: right i'm certain sure, i'm certain i know who you're talking about I'm, I'm sorry your name fails me but she she talks about he is obsessed with the times this is it's you don't need to be a professional you know psychologist to understand that his background in trying to make it in new york and trying to you know live up to whatever self image of himself he was trying to live up to being accepted by the new york establishment being accepted by the times means something to him and you you just can't you can't square that with the you know the man of the people stuff that that he's he's out there doing I, i don't know how comfortable you'd feel speculating about this but to what extent do you think that he is just like an absolute genius calculated media manipulator and to what extent do you think that he has just some weird savant savvy knack for playing the sorts of games that he plays with the media and with Twitter.
1: I think it's, it's both instinct and accident. I I think that it, it it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think there is no doubt that you're talking about a guy who, whose success in, in, in real estate in large part was due to his cultivation of a certain, Image this—this this image of a, you know, bill, successful billionaire playboy in, in Manhattan, who was, you know, in a lot of ways a very aspirational figure for for a lot of Americans in in the eighties, and and even into his you know his his political career, his foray into politics in two thousand sixteen. I think a lot of people looked at him still and remembered that guy from the eighties who lived in a penthouse in the sky on 5th Avenue in New York in a building he built himself and owns hotels and golf courses all over the world and had a you know a, a number one rated television show on NBC in primetime and they thought wow you know that is a version of the american success story and 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 that's in large part because Trump did a very good job of selling that as his image now where i think it's more Instinctual and, and 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 accidental can be at times when he picks fights with certain reporters on Twitter or he goes after individual news stories. I think those can often be little fits of rage rather than any type of grand strategic thinking on his part. Well, so, they <laughs> kind of have the same effect. Is that he's he, yeah, he's he is speaking to people. Um, who who have a deep mistrust of institutions like the media, and that resonates.
0: Do you? So you're um, you spend a fair amount of time in Washington. Do you do you interact with him personally? Do you interact with his? Uh, pardon me for not really knowing exactly how your job works. Are are you? Do you have face to face conversations with this administration consistently?
1: With members of the administration, yes, I, I do. Um, with Trump, it's not. I, I since I stopped covering him as a candidate, you know, after the election, um, and, and our White House reporters uh, cover him on a day to day basis. I've not had a direct contact with him. I interviewed him though one on one during the campaign several times, and I've interviewed him. You know, consistently over the years when I was a reporter in New York working for The Times, um, uh, going back to 2008, 2009. So, yes, I've I've gotten to know him quite well over the years.
0: I I mean, I feel like with the guy it is what you see is what you get. But do you feel like having taken, you know, the personal measure of the man that you, you have any insight or read on him that the general public does not?
1: I really do think that what you see is what you get with him. He, you know, maybe he, he swears a lot more in, in private uh, conversations, but, but that's, that's about it. I mean, he, his, he, he can be a little bit more temperamental uh, and, and he can, he can uh, fly off the handle uh, a little bit more quickly when he knows that there aren't cameras or, or, or microphones around. But um, I, I, I don't think, The average American would be surprised at all by the Trump they see when the cameras go off, because by and large, that's the Trump that you get when you see him every day on the TV.
0: You say in um, the fourth estate that. Uh, Trump followers need someone to be angry at. They angry at. They need the boogeyman. They need the NFL players or or what have you? <clears throat> I don't mind putting my cards on the the table. I'm a I'm a liberal leaning person, but I definitely am someone who will vote for I think the bumper sticker says I'm voting for any, you know, sane reasonable adult in 2020 is what I'm looking for and I find it frustrating that knowing that trump and his people need people to be angry at that i see supposedly intelligent people on the left who constantly keep leaping into the trap of yeah. giving him things i mean what are what are your thoughts on that i'm thinking of of michelle wolf i feel like i'm the only liberal in america who felt like she did a really dumb unnecessary thing at that correspondence dinner
1: oh yeah and and there's no doubt that it set the democratic party back with People who are maybe considering leaving the Republican Party or not voting for Trump a second time around because, you know, the, the, the sentiment that the left is hyperreactive to Trump. Um, this, this notion of what, what's, what's called in, in conservative world, uh, conservative world shorthand, uh, Trump derangement syndrome, that is a tremendous motivator that I don't think that people on the left fully appreciate. And it's, it's, it's almost, I think more powerful than the, 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 I would say second guessing that. Republicans are having about Trump himself. If they see the left as this, you know, rabid, irrational, impeach Trump movement – then that's going to turn off kind of center minded people who not that long ago, can recall what it was like when the country did go through an ugly impeachment, and that's a that, that 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 that's a phenomenon I picked up on a lot when I was in California for the the primaries, you know talking to a lot of voters, republican leaning but not necessarily die hard conservatives who say that they're you – know, they don't you know, like Trump's tweets. They don't like the way he acts. Uh, they're a little embarrassed to say that they voted for him. But what's worse is how they see the left hyperventilating over Trump. And if they see the, the Democratic Party as existing only – to thwart Trump to block Trump at every turn, you know, that that that's fine for hardcore democrats, but it's certainly not going to be enough to win over people who might be on the fence.
0: Right, and you know, it's it seems very easy to bait the left with identity politics and stuff like that and it it's frustrating to, you know, as I say somebody who would love to see seen adults running America to see the people who we have instead just uh you know, falling for this the same trick over and over again. It's like watching Charlie Brown kick a football. Um in the, the movie business, in, in film, they talk about non repeating phenomena, which means uh, somebody made a movie that broke all the rules and it worked, but you just couldn't, it's a fluke. You just couldn't do it again. So don't try to model anything on that. I believe you had an interesting conversation with Steve Bannon recently where. He seems to even indicate that Trump might be a non-repeating phenomenon. He seems to be, if you talk about the Roy Moores and what have you, the only you know hard right, alt-right, whatever you want to call it, outsider who is electable, at least from our current generation of politicians. Do you believe that Donald Trump, whether it's two more years, six more years, what have you, is he part of something larger that can be elected obviously he's tapped into something larger than himself or is it just when trump's over we kind of weirdly just go back to things as they used to be
1: i think when trump leaves under whatever circumstances those are the republican party is going to have the identity crisis that it it put off by the fluke election of donald trump it's going to have to confront issues of of policy um that that it have been, kind of been buried. I mean, if you one of the things that I think is, is, is really striking about this presidency is the extent to which Republican voters have totally absorbed and gone along with Trump ideas just because they're Trump's. I'll give, I'll give you an example. There was a, a, a poll that, uh, that, that a, a Republican for a, you know, a leading think tank was telling me that they commissioned privately about a year ago. And they asked, these are, you know, these are some of the most conservative voters you can think of. And they said, well, you know, what would you think if Trump went along with giving amnesty to undocumented immigrants? And they said essentially that as long as Trump did it, it was fine with them. You know, the same has been true on trade. The Republican Party, Republican voters discarding their long-held views on on open trade agreements because President Trump has gone the other way on that has made that you know a, you know, a central issue in his in, in, in his presidency and also in his campaign. So this the, the Republican Party in a lot of ways has become the Trump party. It's become this entity that is is, is really a big cult of personality. and I don't think that that same party holds together if Mike Pence is at the top of the ticket next time or Ben Sass or Marco Rubio or, you know, any of these people because Trump is just such a unique political and cultural phenomenon.
0: I mean, is it even possible to speculate right now? I have to think because I, I know that so many, um, I'm sure there's plenty of elected Republican officials who disagree pretty strongly with Donald Trump, but it, it's just not a tenable. They don't,
1: dare, they don't dare say it because because the the, the, the rep- Party, the Republican voters that they are, are are answerable to don't want to hear it. If Trump is OK with it, so are they. And they prefer it, in fact.
0: Right. But is it it just seems to me that there is a, a sort of a mania, you know, that 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 is fueling this. It's like a fever among, you know, Republican voters. And once they once Trump is gone, but people are left holding the Trump is in bag, hasn't he sort of weirdly painted Almost every elected Republican into this corner where they're going to bear the legacy of having sided with Trump, and where does that where does that leave all of their guys and and women in in ten years fifteen years I mean, I wasn't around during Nixon I know you weren't either, but that's the only thing in our lifetime I can compare it to that there must have been a stain of having been Nixon Republicans as well I'm assuming
1: yeah, I think it, it, it was different because Nixon wasn't as much of a, a cultural. Force, right? I mean, he wasn't. It, yes, he was the leader of the party. And he was the president, but you know, I mean, it, 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 Nixon didn't have the the party and its voters wrapped around him in, 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 to the extent that Trump does now. He also didn't have the benefit of a, a you know a closely aligned. Media machine that was defending everything he did, he certainly had the political component you know he had the the leaders on capitol hill you know the the, the rank and file republicans you know in, in, in state legislatures or, or, or across the country um, but I think that when you when you add in that media dynamic it 's something that that really changes and has changed the equation for Trump because it gives him a much more powerful Media megaphone, and and it's it's also something that's just been. It's, it, media is so constant now, and people are 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 forever reminded uh, that he is our president, and kind of forced to defend that or 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 or, or argue it um, on one side or the other. It's it's really kind of like unlike anything we've ever seen, not just because of the the, the, prol- the proliferation of media outlets and and. Uh, coverage on all sides of the issue but because this president is always on them he's constantly in our ears on our television sets on our phones in our twitter feeds he won't go away and i think that's kind of created this 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 it's it's really heightened this this sense that it's it's much more personal with Trump. Your, your your political beliefs became much more personal when you have to constantly. And I'm speaking about Trump supporters here. You know when you have to constantly defend him to your friends uh, because that's all they're hearing about from the other side because their media echo chamber is 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 just as loud and just as constant.
0: Um, I know. I know. I have to let you go. I just have a couple more questions. Um, do you consider the Trump voters that you interact with to be post truth
1: I think a lot of them have a misunderstanding about what people like me do and that is directly because of president trump's distortion of us as fabricators as liars as fakes and you know when when he Says that that carries tremendous weight, and it, and it, and it could cause tremendous harm to institutions like the New York Times, uh, because you know let, let's face it, the media didn't really have a great reputation to begin with. Um, I think that that there are a lot of people who are willing to take the president's word at that. They're, they're just as they were willing, you know, as, as as you see in the in the Fourth Estate to take Roy Moore's word for it that the Washington Post. Was lying when it reported that that he had preyed on young girls. Um, I think that that's not all of them. It's hard for me to say. I wouldn't put. I wouldn't quantify it. I wouldn't put a number, a percentage on it because I just honestly don't know how many people are you know post truth um, in, in Trump's constituency. But it's 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 certainly a lot of them who you know for, for whatever reason for loyalty to him for you know hatred of, of you know so-called elite institutions um, or uh, you know for uh, just a, through a misunderstanding of of what the situation really is uh, and, and the role that that entities like the New York Times play in society they they do believe it they they believe trump
0: yeah i mean i think it's it is bigger than him i don't know that anyone's going to be able to channel it in the way that he has but as i said at the start of this you know there's there were millions of people who were he didn't he didn't do a magic trick he was tapping into a sensibility that they already possessed and maybe he exacerbated it <clears throat> or you know extended it but right. what do you see as the way forward for now that we know that there's a a, a portion it's in I don't know ten percent thirty percent I don't know of the voting population for whom facts and truth don't mean what we thought they meant. What is the way forward for the responsible media like the New York Times?
1: I don't know how you put that back in the bottle. I I, I really don't, and I know it's something that you know my bosses uh, and 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 certainly media executives, journalists across the country at, at institutions like the New York Times. Are thinking about constantly, you know? Or have we really potentially lost, you know, a, a generation of readers because of this false notion that we make up our stories and lie about, we well, lie to our readers about what the truth is? Um, so I, I I don't know that I have a have a good answer for you because. It's just hard to imagine what this what what gets better. What, you know how 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 do we improve our standing with people who 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 view us as the enemy? I mean that that's that's really what it boils down to. It's it's not only that they think we're biased, or you know, the media bias has been a longstanding problem that 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 you know, we have had to overcome forever and and we had to combat. Um, it's different when the president of the United States is saying that you're a liar and that takes some time to get over how much time I I, I just don't know.
0: Personally, how concerned are you about the future of American democracy?
1: I think American democracy is a lot more resilient than any one president. Uh, That's the way the system was, was set up. Um, That's, that's why it's, it's endured for as long as it has. I, I I, I I don't worry that we are sliding into some, you know, authoritarian rule like The Handmaid's Tale is right around the corner. Um, I, I think we're bigger than any any one person.
0: Well, that's a positive note. So it's as good a place as any to uh, to leave this off. Thank you sincerely for your time.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, Listeners can read your work in The Times. They can see you in The Fourth Estate on Showtime and Showtime On Demand. And they can follow your Twitter, which is at JWPetersNYT. We're back! On the Tully Show, thanks again to Jeremy Peters of the New York Times for graciously spending some time with us. We are joined once again by Kevin Kraft. There's a joke you like to make when you follow other guests on the show that I'll I'll thank you to not make this time, seeing as how uh, we've got a more dignified guest than usual. <laughs> Do you not know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I know what you're talking about. I did that to him in the elevator. <laughs> he was on Skype, you son of a bitch. You never even saw him. That's true. I texted him. <laughs> the uh I'll just spell it out. The fart. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew I couldn't stop you. <laughs> I could, could only contain you. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me? Because I, I, my headphones aren't working. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. How important are those anyway? You can check on, there's another pair over there for the other. Oh, here we go. They just have to be turned all the way up. <laughs> yeah. Bless yourself. Uh, this building. Uh, We're going to a new place. I know. I'm dear, excited. I am too. This place scares me. I do, don't like being here. Wait, the place where we currently are? Yes. <laughs> I'm afraid we're going to get crushed in a earthquake because we're up high by LA standards. Yes. We're not going to a like a bungalow, you realize. <laughs> I know. But we're going to be a few floors down. Yeah. What difference is that going to make? Do you what do you like I'm I, not going to Jason Bourne you. Come on. Like fourth floor, you think you just feel that Distant rumble coming, and you see the earth rippling all the way from like the ocean coming towards us from Santa Monica. Ados. And you just, you just fucking leap out on the fourth floor. If we're getting hit with like a San Andreas shit, where the where the actual earth ripples, yeah, yeah, I'm not exactly concerned about a couple of floors. But what <laughs> is this place like? Nineteen stories? I feel safer in an eight story building than a nineteen story building. I I think that that I'm glad that you feel that way, but I think that that might be not that might not be a triumph of logic. Well, where however logic fits in, as long as I'm more comfortable, I'll I'll take it. Um what's what's new with you? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> mm. I mean other than my disaster of a butthole. Yeah. Uh kind of the same old shit. Uh been been getting some really good feedback on my writing as far as positive things. I know I don't mention those very often. Your screenwriting? Yeah. What are you working on? Uh, I've got a couple of screenplays that are making festival rounds Mm -hmm. and getting, you know, those little palm frond things that say, like, official selection of Sundance. Yeah, I really like it when you, um, they, um, the the movie publicity machine hacked that one really, really quickly because you can put a palm frond on any festival yeah I always, which I'm learning now because I've got a bunch of them. <laughs> I love when uh yeah when like an art film comes out it was more of a 90s thing like not all pom fronts were created equally it was yeah. the, it was the new the new blurb pretty much yeah um, it's like now now when you go when you see a commercial for a movie, it'll be like spectacular awesome and then the whole screen fills up with like one or two word reviews. yeah and if you pause it mm-hmm. it's fucking Twitter handle saying that. <laughs> and it's just random Twitter handles. It's people with, like, two followers. Well, it's probably people that are made up, because I don't think a lot of actual human beings go on Twitter to tell their friends that uh, 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 Tag was spectacular. Yeah, and— It's just not an adjective people are going to throw around for Babylon like that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure when queefmaster 69 tweeted outstanding, yeah. it might not have even been referring to Tag. <laughs> That's a fair point. As long as Queefmasters just use the word, <laughs> and that guy <laughs> seems fairly excitable. Yeah. Um, we need to get Ronan Farrow on this. <laughs> <laughs> Super journalist Ronan Farrow. It's funny you mention that because I went and saw Peter Pan in a um, in a park over the weekend with my family, and they had a big poster for the 65th anniversary of Peter Pan. And you know, perfect round number to celebrate sixty-five years. Yeah, why not? Yeah, and they had a blurb, and it was just like a timeless classic for the generations. And I always Queefmaster. It was not. I don't think Queefmaster has <laughs> seen Peter Pan in a while. <laughs> no, it was like my big fat mommy life <laughs> why would you even need that like it was on it it was on a disney poster disney selected that that was the best blurb they could get for peter fucking pan oh my god and that, so wow so the the cartoon of peter pan that's the one that's 65 now is there a live action one i mean there's tons of them but cuz i, cause I yeah, know but peter Pan the, the, the one the one with Hugh Jackman i don't believe is 65 <laughs> They, but they, because the uh, Peter Pan is public domain. It is. Like anybody can write a Peter Pan. My roommate is, is, has written a Peter Pan story. What's that all about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's something you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I was actually reading about the public domain of Peter Pan because in the opening cre- maybe you know this, in the opening credits of the classic animated film, it says that it's based on a play by the guy, I think it's J.M. Barry, who's a Scottish playwright. And um, But they got permission to do it, not from him, he was dead, from a children's hospital in the UK. And it turns out that the guy who wrote Peter Pan, it was, I think, a short story and then a play and then a novel, bequeathed the rights to a children's hospital. Bequeath master. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, as yeah, soon I as I to. started the word, I regretted <laughs> it. <laughs> And so it was a I was actually a I was I couldn't figure out a dollar figure. I was wondering first of all how much the original licensing was worth in the fifties or sixties whenever they made Peter Pan and then how much it's been worth over the years. Yeah. But it's sort of beautiful that the guy who wrote Peter Pan Gave it to a children's hospital, and the success of the Peter Pan Disney franchise has been, you know, helping sick kids. Yeah. But the problem is they knew all along that the stories were written in, like, 1910, and all along they knew that, it, you know, who 70 years, 75 years? It was set up so that—it was supposed to be for two generations of progeny, that the person who makes the thing makes money off it, and then their kid, and then their grandkid, and then it goes into the public domain— and oh, actually, I didn't know it was like the stipulation was ge- generational. I thought it was no, it's, like it's, it's an, time. It, it's an amount of years, but that's it was the idea. It's 70 or 75 years. Oh, it was okay. intended so that's, to be for about two gotcha. generations of a family, and then it goes into the public domain. And the somewhere along the way, there was a prime minister of England whose wife um, impelled him to just break the law and give this children's hospital eternal rights to... there wow. is there is, Yeah, the, the copyright can't lapse in England. Ah, oh, so, so if everybody people, else. If people crank out new stage play, if anybody puts on a stage production of Peter Pan in England, it's the money still goes to the children's hospital, and why not? But your your roommate doesn't have to worry about that. No, yeah, or those poor sick kids. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if everything that gets introduced into Peter Pan canon is also public domain. Like, if I can just go off and make a Rufio spinoff. Well, I mean, who gets to decide what the canon is when it's in public domain? Exactly. That's it. I'm doing my Rufio movie. Hey, I wanted to talk. I have something I actually really want to talk to you about, but you, I've been thinking about something you said about the, the Star Wars canon, and I'm really confused, because the Star Wars people say, I saw Solo, it's okay, I think you feel about the same way, pretty yeah. good. B minus, whatever. Yeah. Um, Star Wars people love to say, there's just, it's an infinite number, as big as spaces. That's how many stories we have, and it seems to me like they had Rogue One, and they have Solo, and they have... They're doing Boba Fett, whether or not that can be done. You hear about Jabba. I hear about you um, and McGregor doing some middle period Obi-Wan stuff, which, yeah. makes, which makes some sense. Yeah. But that seems like a very finite number of stories. And you say, well, no, if you go into the novels, then there are really an infinite number of stories. Yeah, but they also wiped the novels from official canon. Right. Okay, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So why did they—that's dumb. I think what they did, because they had a whole thing established with what happens with like Luke, Han, and Leia after um, Return, Return of, the, of Jedi. the Jedi. And I guess they opened up a Jedi Academy, and Han Solo had kids. So I guess they wanted to just wipe all that so they could have full freedom to do the whole Kylo Ren thing. And it's, it's very I unclear. But I don't understand, because that seems like that totally jibes with in the movies Han had a kid that's Kylo Ren and Luke was training Jedis it was I don't I don't know it exactly but I I know it was different my cousin is she's a big cosplayer and she so this runs in your family yeah kinda so she she was big on doing cosplay as Han Solo's daughter I think and that that character got wiped from canon Hope Solo and uh the the soccer player (laughs) So (laughs) they—I think where it really goes is when you get away from those main characters. Like, they they did this video game series, Knights of the Old Republic, Mm -hmm. on Xbox, and it was like a role-playing game set in the Star Wars universe, but thousands of years in the past. And it was fucking fascinating. It was so cool. There was so much customization. Um, As you develop your Force powers, you can choose whether you go Sith or Jedi. You get to construct your own lightsabers, and every little piece you put does something different. And you go to all these different planets and encounter all these different gangs and factions, and it's so cool. And I feel like I'd rather see a lot more stuff of that than just giving the the fucking Bib Fortuna, the guy with those big, like, fleshy snake globs going around his neck in Jabba's palace. Like give, give making a, a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like enough with just scraping the bottom of the barrel with these characters. <laughs> it it comes from a of- long generation of people who open gates. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like there's they, they, they can just veer away from that shit. Do a Knights of the Old Republic movie. Do something from thousands of years in the past. Yeah. There's really cool shit. Yeah. I'm well yeah cool I'm I'm rooting for that cuz that's what I always assume like people think that the Avenger movies in the past you would say well they've made so many you know Avengers, Iron Man what have you they're out, they must just be out of shit to do like you know Superman ran out of shit within yeah. like 3 episodes but it's like well no there's thousands and thousands of comic books theoretically there's still you you've barely even Scratch the surface of what you can do with these characters. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm rooting for the... I could kind of care less about the Marvel Universe, but um, I'm rooting for Star Wars to stay good, and it's weird to me if you're saying that there are there's an, an endless supply of really good Star Wars stories when we're... I mean, I think they're going to make a solo sequel, even though nobody likes this one. I hope they do. And I hope people give it a shot, because I know there were a lot of people that were just bummed out and what, they being stubborn because of the guy. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, Han his Solo face, His is, face wasn't as punchable like in, in feature length as it is in a commercial. I agree. And this is a guy who I've seen in- uh, He was in that Cohen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, which wasn't very good. But uh-huh. he was great in it. And I remember seeing him in that movie and being like, wow, this guy has that just old school Hollywood charm about him. Perfect. Like he's got like a classically handsome face- He's got really great delivery. I, I think that guy's an awesome actor, and I hope this doesn't fuck his career. I hope this doesn't fuck the franchise. I would like to see another Han Solo adventure. Yeah, it was not perfect at all, but if you just go in with, I want to see some cool Star Wars shit and just get rid of some of that cynicism that nerds really like to hold on to... I feel like you will enjoy Solo, and I would like to see where the story goes. They leave it open for more cool shit. They definitely did. I like when he met Chewie. That was good. And fucking Donald Glover as Lando. Come on. He was awesome. Pretty good. Pretty good. So um, uh, I was speaking to Jeremy Peters of the New York Times about our president, who is Donald Trump. Yep. And uh, Donald Trump is a lot of things. Uh, he has been known to be a vulgar man. And that is something that um, uh, a su- surprising amount of the electorate could give a shit about. And I started wondering about how much cursing other presidents had gotten up to. It's very—I I like to when people go, "Oh my god, can you believe Trump did this or did that?" I like to go, "Well, I don't know—is this really all that unprecedented?" And a lot of times you find out oh, a lot of this shit's been going on for a long time. It's just getting highlighted because everything that he does gets. Uh, highlighted, so I it cobbled- comes with the territory being president. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly being President Trump. Um, and uh, I cobbled together a brief history of presidents cursing. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and I thought we could just take a look at some. Hey, Rash, suck my cock. <laughs> <laughs> the The Kennedy stuff is pretty disappointing because it's not just did they do it; it's just did somebody like write it down. You know, were they caught essentially? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure. JFK was was fairly loose lipped. Uh, oh, for sure. Harry Truman was once known to call General Douglas MacArthur a dumb son of a bitch, and that's fair. And call I know. <laughs> he was a fucking idiot. That guy. Seriously, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even tie his shoes, I hear. I wanted to make a military joke, and I literally couldn't think of one bit of military jargon <laughs> to hold it up. Yeah, that's not uh, exactly fertile ground for comedy. And uh, he, uh, Harry Truman called Richard Nixon a shifty-eyed, goddamned liar. Take that. Yeah, I think I liked Hank Truman. He was, oh, he was also known as Give-Em-Hell, Harry. And do you know he's that's... the guy who popularized the phrase, the buck stops here? Another, uh, uh, f- s- phrase that doesn't make sense to me. The buck stops here. Well, it makes sense if you accept passing the buck. If you don't know what the buck is in the first place, yeah. then extensions and derivations themselves- I don't know if you want to look it up. I'm, I'm maxed out on screens here. but Like if I just straight up said to you, the pussy stops here! It's like, oh, so you're the line that girls just call it quits at. No one wants to go near you, huh? Well, I'm assuming at some point somebody knew what, like, Buck must have been a th- somebody said at one point the buck stops here and people were like ah yeah well said yeah nailed yeah. it because buck meant something to them or stopping the buck or passing the buck in a way that it no longer does to us yeah i'm encouraging you to look this up if you have your phone handy uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> i think I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down so <laughs> the uh oh god we don't have any time fuck uh jfk uh, somebody, this is echoes of today. The Air Force had spent five thousand dollars to furnish a maternity suite for Jackie O at an Air Force base, and he had not approved that. And he knew that would be used as a political football. Oh, Jackie O needed a five thousand dollar maternity suite; she was going to use for a day, and he was quoted as saying, Russ, suck my cock." <laughs> this is uh, obviously a fuck up. <laughs> nice. I think he's also like taped somewhere saying that he he wanted to do blow with a lady, but that's not cursing. Anything else no. the buck. Uh, the phrase that was popularized by Harry Truman, who kept a sign with that phrase on the desk of his Oval Office, the phrase refers to the notion that the president has to make the decisions and oh. accept the ultimate responsibility. So it doesn't mean anything. Not really. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like, get schwifty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Another great JFK quote. Ira. <laughs> Ira. <laughs> 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 Lyndon Baines Johnson was a colorful, talented swearer. He once said, I know the difference between chicken shit and chicken salad. <laughs> That's a very important uh, distinction to make. And You don't re- want to eat a giant bowl of chicken shit. And uh, although he was JFK's vice president, the two of them did not exactly see eye to eye. One time referring to a Kennedy aide, LBJ said he wouldn't know how to pour piss out of a boot if the instructions were printed on the heel. <laughs> oh fuck yeah! Solid, huh? Man, I really wish I'd left more time for this. Uh, Jimmy Carter was quoted as saying, um, p- pondering a primary challenge from Ted Kennedy: "If Kennedy runs, I'll whip his ass. Get him." Yeah. Didn't didn't uh, Lyndon B. Johnson also talk about his, his He needed a, a bigger pouch in his pants for his massive cock, and got got to give me a little bit more room down by where my nuts hang. Yeah, and by his bunghole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah, that was just that's just. That's just Taylor Shop talk. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was known to once say, God damn it, Pierre, about um, then-Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau and was occasionally known to call people SOBs. Poof, Yeah. Man, the potty mouth on that guy. It was a, it was a wild card. Bush Sr., um... Uh, well, he had two wives, and he grabbed asses from a wheelchair and called himself David Copperfield. Other than that, completely squeaky clean. <laughs> uh, Clinton ejaculated on interns and lied about it under oath. Also known to one time say, shit. Oh. You know uh, what? I used to support that guy, and <laughs> I he know. just crossed the line where with I that. I draw the line. Bush Jr. called somebody a major league asshole on a podium at a, at a political rally. He said that to Dick Cheney, referring to a New York Times reporter. And he had a hot mic. That's right. Dick Cheney once told Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy to go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, Obama lied a whole bunch in the audiobook of his autobiography, um, Sorry Ass yes, Motherfucker, et cetera. Also called Mitt Romney a bullshitter, I think, to Rolling Stone Magazine. Mitt Romney, not a president, but worth noting that the former speaker of the Massachusetts House of Representatives recalled the ex-governor, Mitt Romney, telling bothersome opponents they could go to H.E. double hockey sticks. Oh, what a pussy. Yeah. And then no president ever cursed ever again. It's the way it should be. Yeah, that was the end of it. I like that we've grown as a nation. disgusting thing that he said, and I could tell you I would not use that word. But it's political bullshit. She said he's a pussy. They're ripping the shit out of the sea. We can't get a fucking school built in Brooklyn. You're not going to raise that fucking price. You understand? I'm going to bomb the shit out of them. Listen, you motherfuckers, we're going to tax you 25%. (laughs) What's the difference between a wet raccoon and Donald J. Trump's hair?
1: A wet raccoon doesn't have... $7 $7 billion fucking dollars in the bank.
0: Thank you. You're, uh, you're Kevin Kraft. You're at Kevin... Cra- you're at Kevin Kraft sucks. Are you just Kevin Kraft on Instagram? Yeah. I'm learning every day. Yep. Mad Scientist Party Hour. Check it out.